Chapter Two of Book Two of Les Miserables, Volume Two by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Vaughn Ullman. Les Miserables, Volume Two by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book Second. THE SHIP ORION CHAPTER TWO IN WHICH THE READER WILL PERUSE TWO VERSES WHICH ARE OF THE DEVIL'S COMPOSITION, POSSIBLY. BEFORE PROCEEDING FURTHER, IT WILL BE TO THE PURPOSE TO NARRATE, IN SOME DETAIL, A SINGULAR OCCURRENCE WHICH TOOK PLACE AT ABOUT THE SAME EPOCH, IN Montfermé, AND WHICH IS NOT LACKING COINCIDENCE WITH CERTAIN CONJECTURES OF THE INDICTMENT. THERE EXISTS IN THE REGION OF Montfermé A VERY ANCIENT SUPERSTITION, which is all the more curious and all the more precious, because a popular superstition in the vicinity of Paris is like an aloe in Siberia. We are among those who respect everything which is in the nature of a rare plant. Here, then, is the superstition of Montfermeil. It is thought that the devil, from time immemorial, has selected the forest as a hiding-place for his treasures. Good wives affirm that it is no rarity to encounter at nightfall, in secluded nooks of the forest, a black man with the air of a carter or a woodchopper, wearing wooden shoes, clad in trousers and a blouse of linen, and recognizable by the fact that, instead of a cap or hat, he has two immense horns on his head. This ought, in fact, to render him recognizable. This man is habitually engaged in digging a hole. There are three ways of profiting by such an encounter. The first is to approach the man and speak to him. Then it is seen that the man is simply a peasant that he appears black because it is nightfall, that he is not digging any hole whatever, but is cutting grass for his cows, and that what had been taken for horns is nothing but a dung-fork which he is carrying on his back, and whose teeth, thanks to the perspective of evening, seem to spring from his head. The man returns home and dies within the week. The second way is to watch him, to wait until he has dug his hole, until he has filled it and has gone away, and then to run with great speed to the trench, to open it once more and seize the treasure which the black man has necessarily placed there. In this case, one dies within the month. Finally, the last method is not to speak to the black man, not to look at him, and to flee at the best speed of one's legs. One then dies within the year. As all three methods are attended with their special inconveniences, the second, which at all events presents some advantages, among others, that of possessing a treasure, if only for a month, is the one most generally adopted. So bold men, who are tempted by every chance, have quite frequently, as we are assured, opened the holes excavated by the black man, and tried to rob the devil. The success of the operation appears to be but moderate, at least if the tradition is to be believed, and in particular the two enigmatical lines in barbarous Latin, which an evil Norman monk, a bit of a sorcerer, named Tryphon, has left on this subject. This Tryphon is buried at the abbey of Saint-Georges de Bourcherville near Rouen, and toads spawn on his grave. Accordingly, enormous efforts are made. Such trenches are ordinarily extremely deep. A man sweats, digs, toils all night, for it must be done at night. He wets his shirt, burns out his candle, breaks his mattock, and when he arrives at the bottom of the hole, when he lays his hand on the treasure, what does he find? What is the devil's treasure? A sou, sometimes a crown piece, a stone, a skeleton, a bleeding body, sometimes a specter folded in four like a sheet of paper in a portfolio, sometimes nothing. This is what Tryphon's verses seem to announce to the indiscreet and curious. Fudit de enforsa de osores conduit opica, 
as numas lapides cadaver sumacra nilic. It seems that in our day there is sometimes found a powder horn with bullets, sometimes an old pack of cards greasy and worn, which has evidently served the devil. Tryphon does not record these two finds. Since Tryphon lived in the twelfth century, and since the devil does not appear to have had the wit to invent powder before Roger Bacon's time, and cards before the time of Charles the Sixth. Moreover, if one plays at cards, one is sure to lose all that one possesses. And as for the powder in the horn, it possesses the property of making your gun burst in your face. Now, a very short time after the epoch, when it seemed that to the prosecuting attorney that the liberated convict, Jean Valjean, during his flight of several days, had been prowling around Montfermeil, it was remarked in that village that a certain old road laborer named Boulatroy had peculiar ways in the forest. People thereabouts thought they knew that this Boulatroy had been in the galleys. He was subjected to certain police supervision, and, as he could find work nowhere, the administration employed him at reduced rates as a road mender on the crossroad from Gagny to Ligny. This Boulatroy was a man who was viewed with disfavor by the inhabitants of the district as too respectful, too humble, too prompt in removing his cap to everyone and trembling and smiling in the presence of the gendarme, probably affiliated to robber bands, they said, suspected of lying in ambush at verge of copses at nightfall. The only thing in his favor was that he was not a drunkard. This is what people thought they had noticed. Of late, Boulatroy had taken to quitting his task of stone-breaking and care the road at a very early hour, and to be taking himself to the forest with his pickaxe. He was encountered toward evening in the most deserted clearings in the wildest thickets, and he had the appearance of being in search of something, and sometimes he was digging holes. The good wives who passed took him at first for Beelzebub. Then they recognized Boulatroy, and were not in the least reassured thereby. These encounters seemed to cause Boulatroy a lively displeasure. It was evident that he sought to hide, and that there was some mystery in what he was doing. It was said in the village, it is clear that the devil has appeared... Boulatroy has seen him, is on the search. In sooth, he is cunning enough to pocket Lucifer's hoard. The Voltarians added, Will Boulatroy catch the devil, or will the devil catch Boulatroy? The old woman made a great many signs of the cross. In the meantime, Boulatroy's maneuvers in the forest ceased, and he resumed his regular occupation of road-mending, and people gossiped of something else. Some persons, however, were still curious, surmising that in all this there was probably no fabulous treasure of the legends, but some fine windfall of a more serious and palpable sort than the devil's bank builds. Roadmender had half discovered the secret. The most puzzled were the schoolmaster and Thénardier, the proprietor of the tavern, who was everybody's friend, and had not disdained to ally himself with Boulatroy. He has been in the galleys, said Thénardier. Eh, no one knows who has been there, who will be there. One evening the schoolmaster affirmed that in the former times the law could have instituted an inquiry as to what Boulatroy did in the forest, and that the latter would have been forced to speak, and that he would have been put to the torture in case of need, and that Boulatroy would have not resisted the water test, for example. Let us put him to the wine test, said Thénardier. They made an effort and got the old road-mender to drinking. Boulatroy drank an enormous amount, but said very little. He combined with admirable art and in masterly proportions the thirst of a gourmandisier with the discretion of a judge. Nevertheless, by dint of returning to the charge and of comparing and putting together the few obscure words which he did allow to escape him, this is what Thernadier and the schoolmaster imagined that they had made out. 
One morning, when Boulatroy was on his way to his work at daybreak, he had been surprised to see, at a nook of the forest in the underbrush, a shovel and a pickaxe, concealed, as one might say. However, he might have supposed that they were probably the shovel and pickaxe of Father Six Fours, the water carrier, and would have thought no more about it. But on the evening of that day, he saw, without being seen himself, as he was hidden by a large tree, a person who did not belong in those parts, and whom he, Boulatroy, knew well, directing his steps toward the densest part of the wood. Translation by Thernadier, a comrade of the galleys. Boulatroy obstinately refused to reveal his name. This person carried a package, something square, like a large box or a small trunk. Surprise on the part of Boulatroy. However, it was only after the expiration of seven or eight minutes that the idea of following that person had occurred to him. But it was too late. The person had already, was already in the thicket. Night had descended, and Boulatroy had not been able to catch up with him. Then he had adopted the course of watching for him at the edge of the woods. It was moonlight. Two or three hours later, Boulatroy had seen this person emerge from the brushwood, carrying no longer the coffer, but a shovel and pick. Boulatroy had allowed the person to pass, and had not dreamed of accosting him, because, he said to himself, that the other man was three times as strong as he was, and armed with a pickaxe, and that he would probably knock him over the head on recognizing him, and on perceiving that he was recognized. Touching a fusion of two old comrades on meeting again, but the shovel and pick had served as a ray of light to Boulatroy. He had hastened to the thicket in the morning, and had found neither shovel nor pick. From this he had drawn the inference that this person, once in the forest, had dug a hole with his pick, buried the coffer, and reclosed the hole with his shovel. Now the coffer was too small to contain a body, therefore it contained money. Hence his researches. Boulatroy had explored, sounded, searched the entire forest and the thicket, and had dug wherever the earth appeared to him to have been recently turned up. In vain. He had ferreted out nothing. No one in Montfermeil thought any more about it. There were only a few brave gossips who said, You may be certain that the mender on the Gagné road did not take all that trouble for nothing. He was sure that the devil had come. End of Book Two, Chapter Two Recording by Von Ullman, V-O-N-S-T-A-K-E-S dot blogspot dot com